uh, to his disciples and to be with them. But beyond the things that he said, the account of John chapter 13, the object lesson that he taught by what he did is one of the most powerful lessons that he ever gave for us to follow. Indeed, on this particular night, the things that are recorded are some of the most meaningful things that human ears have ever heard. John's account of this particular night is different than the other Gospels. John focuses uh, on the things, as he often does in his Gospels, in his Gospel, on the things that the others do not deal with. John here emphasizes the personal love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his disciples. Now, it is obvious in John's record that the tragic event, the betrayal, the rejection of Christ, his crucifixion, that all of that is within God's purpose. Uh, it would seem, seem an impossible task to tell a story like this and to tell it in such a way that the one who would be seen as the victim was in control. And yet it is the message of all of the Gospels and it is seen very clearly in John's Gospel that at no time was Jesus a victim. He was in control. He did not uh, lose his life violently at the hand of others. They crucified him, but he chose the moment that he would die. He said to Pilate, you would have no authority, no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. He said to the crowds, no one takes my life. I lay it down willingly for my disciples, for my sheep. So here is a picture of true leadership. And like so much that the Bible would teach us, God's idea of leadership is considerably different than any model of leadership you will see described on the bookshelves in the business sections or in the uh, articles written in magazines about how to lead effectively. Because... True leadership in God's design is service. What the Lord Jesus did that night at every point is so startling. And yet it has become familiar to us and it generally draws uh, cobwebs in our awareness and we don't very often think about it. Notice with me, if you would, in John chapter 13, we're going to see five things about service that are taught in this incident. John 13, 1 through 20. First of all, in verse 1, we see the motive of service. The motive of Christian service is love. We read, Now before the feast, of the Passover. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he should depart out of this world 
to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Somehow I think that if I had been called on to write a preface to the teaching that Jesus did on the night of his betrayal, I would not have chosen to introduce it this way. But Jesus, having been crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, decades having passed where John the beloved apostle has gotten to know him even better than he did during the days of his earthly ministry, when he sits to write this account, he starts it by saying, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Now, you know, we're a little bit jaded. Uh, we handle marvelous, exciting, life-changing truth with a deadening familiarity. Look again at the way verse 1 starts. Before the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he should depart out of this world to the Father. See, we slide over that. Jesus of Nazareth was fully human. He was also fully divine. We cannot explain that. We must affirm it because it is the clear and undeniable teachings of the Scripture. It is called the doctrine of the incarnation. Incarnation is from uh, the Latin, as so many of our theological terms are, and it simply means in flesh the doctrine that God became flesh now I don't understand nor can I explain adequately how the full humanity and the full deity fit together to form the individual who was Jesus of Nazareth but he was fully human he was 33 years old Nothing that had ever come his way had caught him by surprise. He has known from at least his teenage years what his mission was and how it would end. And now he comes to his last night before he dies. I'm glad that we do not have the kind of knowledge that he had about what is going to happen to us. I think we're far better off not knowing. But here he is within hours of incredible pain and suffering, within a very few hours of being handed over to those who seek his life by his friend Judas... facing a night that he knew already he would have no sleep, facing a day that would end in mid-afternoon for him as he gave up his humanity and he died and bore 
the sins of the world and took the punishment. Within hours of that, John records, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. The motive for service that makes it service to the Lord is love. There are a lot of things that go under the name of love that are not really. We all know that. For love, this kind of love, is a, is a settled choice, not a fickle emotion, that puts in the place of supremacy the welfare of someone else. I have no illusions that if I were in a situation at all similar to what he was in, I have no illusions that I would be able to approach my last day as he did. His method, the motive rather of service, is love. His love could not be quenched by evil. As we move through this chapter, we will see that until the very last moment, he treated Judas Iscariot as a treasured friend. Even though John has reminded us several times in this gospel, that he knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. Knowing this, he washed the feet of Judas with full knowledge of what he was going to do. He also knew that Peter would deny him. And this example that he set for us was given with the full knowledge of who he was. It transcends social barriers. It is a condescending, selfless love. It is an active, not a passive love. It is a cleansing love that has in its touch the ability to elevate the other. The motive of service that makes it service for the master is love. And then notice in verses 2 through 5, the method of service is selflessness, we read. And during supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The method of service is selflessness. Do not for one moment tonight of this message in our consideration of the text forget that he was facing imminent destruction of his human life. And he knew it. 
knowing. It is so striking in verse 2 that knowing that Judas had already made the decision. Knowing, verse 3, that the Father had put all things into his hand. Knowing these things, that he was going back to the Father, he didn't have, now you know that a little bit of an oversimplification, I'm not trying to be too trite about it, but he didn't have a take this job and shove it attitude. You know, he didn't say, I left the throne voluntarily 34 years ago. I gave up the oneness that I had with my father from infinity to infinity, and in a few hours, I am out of this place. Knowing who he was, knowing that all things had been given into his hands. Now, the way John says this, the deliverance of all power into the hand of the Son preceded the crucifixion. Jesus said at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Knowing betrayal, knowing rejection, knowing who he was, possessing all power, knowing he was going home to be with the Father. He wrapped a towel around his waist, a large towel, tied it around his loins, took a bowl of water, knelt down, and began to wash their feet. This is really a picture of the whole incarnation. He rose from the throne of heaven. He laid aside his heavenly garments. He took up the servant clothes of humanity and he poured his own blood out at the altar of eternity in order to wash us clean. By the way, this is repeated daily when we come to him in confession of our sins as Christians. Jesus Christ demonstrated that he truly deserved the throne that was his. Not by his raw power, not by his eloquence, not by his miracles, but by his humility. I think it goes without saying that uh, no one of us ever perfectly models this kind of servanthood. F.B. Meyer said, this failure partly arises because we do not love with the kind of love he had, a love that will take resentment, annoyance, rebuke in its quest, and also partly because we are not willing to stoop low enough. No one can remove the speck of another so long as the beam is still in his eye and sin is unjudged in his life. No one can cleanse the stain who is not willing to take the form of a servant and go down with bare knees upon the floor. No one is able to restore those who are overtaken in a fault who does not count himself 
the chief of sinners and the least of the saints. The method of service is selflessness. Very few events that are recorded for us in the gospel demonstrate the true character of Jesus Christ the way this one does. He knew that his glory was near. He would reclaim his throne. He knew that it was all his. But rather than demonstrating pride that he had a right to have, he demonstrated humility. There is another factor that we ought to consider when we see that not only was Jesus in looking forward to his own suffering and death, not only was it in that context that he did this, but right about now his disciples uh, were not doing a lot to encourage him to be nice to them. Now you lay all of the gospel accounts of this night side by side and here's what you get. They have prepared for Passover. They have had the cedar, the Passover meal. And now Jesus stood before them and he said, I establish a new covenant. He took the bread and he broke it and it crumbled and he said, the bread is my body that will be broken for you. He took the cup and he said, the cup is my blood which will be shed for you. And all of the time the disciples are kind of yawning and stretching. You can read between the line. And it says there arose a discussion among them as to who was the greatest. Now at that moment, even if you were full of love and compassion, would you really feel like doing what he did? I wouldn't. And what he did is presented in the light of all of these things. The disciples were discussing their personal greatness and the most important event in all of history was unfolding beyond, before their eyes and they did not even realize it. Even then, Jesus showed them who the greatest was. He went on to say, as we will see later, the one who is the greatest is the servant of all. As his slaves, we certainly should follow his example. And then look with me in verses 6 through 11. Here is the misunderstanding of service, which is pride. The misunderstanding of service, which is pride, we read. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, 
What I do, you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Consistent guy. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet and is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying them. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. The misunderstanding of service is pride. And it is seen both in Judas Iscariot and in Simon Peter. The hasty ignorance of Peter. Lord, explain it to me right now or forget it. And some people say God doesn't have a sense of humor. You know, how often has he sat through that same speech with you and I? You know, I want to know. I want to know now. I'm thoroughly disgusted. I want an explanation. And Jesus said to Peter, essentially, trust me. And Peter said, never. You know, this guy was a slow learner. This was not his first time. Previously, when Jesus, the very first time, said to his disciples, I am going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm going to be crucified for sins, the first time he said it, Peter said, Never! It'll never happen to you, Lord. Jesus looked square at him and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are concerned with the things of man, not the things of God. But it is comforting to know that somebody else does that besides you and me. His heart was tilted in the right direction, but his head was wrong. He had an inflated idea of the level of his own ability to understand what Jesus was trying to do. He certainly had faith, but he was lacking in thinking and knowledge. God knows that we make many honest, well-intentioned mistakes. Like Peter, we need to admit them quickly. You know, it's funny. Once he says, he says, Lord, explain it. Are you doing this to me? In other words, what are you doing? You know, it's just, it's almost, a, you know, this is so embarrassing. Why are you doing this? Then he says, never. And then he says, okay, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. And when he admitted his mistake, he overreacted. You know, it was like Jesus said, again, no, Peter, you've had a bath. We've been outside. 
the road has made your feet dusty, that's all that needs to be washed. He overreacted again. Now in verses 8 and 10, Jesus was talking about salvation. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. The act was a symbolic act. It was not a ritual act that was to be hung around the neck of the church to be practiced as Jesus practiced it whenever they worshiped. Now I can see great value in foot washing. And if you've never been involved in a foot washing opportunity, uh, it, is a very, it is a very different thing. It can be a very powerful and moving experience. But this is not the third ordinance of the church. He was not establishing another ordinance. It was a, a, an act of demonstration, an act of an object lesson that had far greater implications than wiping the dirt off of someone's feet. It was an act that demonstrated the way they should live at all times. It was a plain lesson, and we should follow his example. Obviously, a part of that plain lesson is humility. Humility, and not the kind that... Uh, gets so good at humility that it writes the book Humility and How I Achieved It. That's not the idea. But the kind of humility that putting love in action genuinely values the welfare of another above personal welfare. And the other part of the lesson was the love. Humility and love. And then notice in verses 12 through 17, the meaning of service is humility. We read, And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, that is, and put his clothes on again, and reclined at table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher, and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also, that you also should do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. It is very difficult to consider humility without looking at the flip side of the coin, which is pride. Pride is the queen mother of all sin. Pride is the original sin. And I do not use that as a theological term, but chronologically it is a fact that sin entered the universe as a result of the pride in the heart 
of the archangel Lucifer. Pride is the mother of all sin. Now there are many uh, ways and places in life that we walk uh, fine lines between extremes and I am aware of that and this is one of those places. I like the way Paul said it more than once. Uh, he said it a couple of times. He said one, one place, if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He said another place, if you think you know something when you really know nothing, you deceive yourself. Paul said, Christ died for sinners of whom I am chief. We ought to value ourselves highly. We ought to love ourselves greatly but not because of us, but because of the value that is added to us by the grace of God. And thus, as an aware, by awareness of His grace, we obey the command, you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself, and you love yourself and you value yourself because your Lord loves you. But you remember what you are and where you came from and what you are without His grace. Paul said there, but for the grace of God go I. The meaning of service is humility. Now the Lord Jesus explains it and He explains it directly and simply in a very few words as was His custom by referring to his example. What is his example? It is that nothing is too low for us to be willing to do. You know, I, I suppose that most of us, sooner or later, in some area of life, enjoy the fact that at work or wherever it may be, there comes a time when we kind of graduate and don't have to do certain things anymore. And that's a good feeling. That's a therapeutic feeling sometimes. But as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to remember that when he did this, he established the principle that we are not too good to do anything it takes to serve someone else. I know someone, and I'll narrow the location down, it's in the mainland, someone that I've known and considered a valued friend for 20 years. but it took me quite a while to work through something that occurred about five years ago. I was at the time traveling about a quarter of a million air miles a year, and as I did eight or nine or 10 or 12 times a week, I was boarding an aircraft 
and I sat down, began to read uh, something, and uh, a voice caught my ear a few minutes later. And I looked up, and sure enough, it was someone that I knew. Now, I was seated in the coach section on the aisle about three rows back from the bulkhead. And I heard my friend say, No, I don't think I'll move. I like to sit in this seat. That's why I reserved it. I want to sit here. And the flight attendant went on to explain that the elderly lady who needed to be seated had great difficulty getting up and down and needed to be seated where there were no obstructions. And again, he said, no, I'm not going to move. Now, we're not talking about a full airplane. And it took me a good long time to work through my negative reaction to the refusal of a basic courtesy on a 45-minute flight of allowing an elderly person to have a better seat. You know, I know this individual well enough. I've been uh, around the individual often enough since then to realize that he never one time saw that whole event in the same terms as I did. That was his seat. He had a right to the seat. It was that simple. There was no malice. It was simply an expression of native, ugly, human pride. There is nothing that is too good for us to do. Jesus said, you call me rabbi. You call me Adonai. And you do well because that's who I am. If then I do this for you, shouldn't you do it for each other? We are to serve each other. We are to succeed by helping others to succeed. I love the comment that the great uh, British pastor of the last, last century made, Joseph Parker. Christ's method did not admit to debate. It was not a theory, it was a fact. There it was, a stoop that could never be forgotten, an argument which no ingenuity could ever defeat. It was worth doing, or he who never trifled would not have set the example. This shows in a wonderful manner the true vocation of those whom God has assigned to positions of lordship and mastery in this life. Our duty is to set examples of lowliness and love 
the lowliness which comes out of righteousness. And then notice in verses 18 through 20, the master's service, which is delegation of authority. The master's service, which is delegation of authority. We read, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. It is a simple reminder that all of the position and authority we have is derived from our relationship to Jesus Christ. It is not as with the governments of men that when power is assumed, power is owned. Rather, the authority is delegated authority. It is not personal. It is not a possession. It is a position of trust. It is like an ambassador. When nations send representatives to each other, the single representative in and of himself is a mere man, but he represents the nation that commissioned and sent him. And all of us in our work for the Lord Jesus Christ are mere mortals, big time, failed and frail over and over again. But we represent him. And Jesus, and he will go on to say more about it, Jesus said, if you receive the one that I send, you receive me. And if you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. These same events are discussed in Matthew 18, 19, and 20, Mark 9 and 10, Luke 9. And there are statements that supplement these statements in all of those places. The lesson is a striking lesson. Far beyond anything that I have or might be able to say if we can but remember the picture he is Lord he is master facing the loss of his life in the company of people who were more concerned about their own pecking order in the organization than they were about his life. He laid aside his garments. 
as the lowliest of hired servants might do. He knelt to attend their most basic need. In the next message from the balance of John 13, we will consider the new commandment that we are to love each other as much as he loves us. And we will see that lesson set against the background of the details and the specifics of the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Bishop J.C. Ryle of the Church of England made this statement about Judas, and I close with it. On all the coasts of England, there is no lighthouse to warn sailors of danger brighter than Judas Iscariot is a warning to Christians. He shows us what length a man may go in religious profession and yet turn out to be a rotten hypocrite and prove never to have been converted. He shows us the uselessness of the highest privileges unless we have a heart to value them and turn them into good account. Let us never be surprised. I find it significant that approximately 110 years ago, Bishop made this statement that sounds like it was made last week. Let us never be surprised if we see hypocrisy and false profession among Christians in modern days. There is nothing new in it, nothing peculiar, nothing that did not happen even among Christ's own immediate followers and under his own eye. Our faith may be feeble, our hope often dim, our knowledge small, our failures frequent, our faults many. But at all events, above all things, let us be real and let us be true. May we pray. Heavenly Father, the lesson is so profound. It bears so many implications that it seems pointless to, to try and, and apply because it always applies. Father, we often seek the kind of gratification and satisfaction that ought to come from sitting at your feet. We often seek that by our status among our fellow believers and fellow workers. But Father, would you transport us to the valley of vision where we may see that the way up is the way down. The way to glory is by way of the cross. The way to honor is by the path of humility. And the way to life is through spending our lives for you. Father, open our hearts to your word.
Touch us where we hurt. Heal and comfort those places. Show us where we have failed. Show us where we sin. And in those places, draw from us the kind of confession and repentance that will change our lives so that the world may know and see who you are. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing as a hymn of commitment, hymn 349, Have Thine Own Way. I do not know your heart. I do not know your need. But I do know that as you have been served by the Lord Jesus Christ, there is within you a need of commitment to that kind of service and only that kind of commitment will bring the peace and the quietness in your heart that you seek. What he would have you do, however, you need to respond to this public invitation for salvation, for church membership, for commitment. Whatever he would have you do, do it right now, do it quickly. As we stand, while we sing, have thine own way.